1: Tonight, I'll be reading The Cricket on the Hearth, Chapter Two, Chirp the Second, Part Two.
0: In the last part, Mr. Tackleton invited himself to lunch with the Peerybingles and the plumes. In this part, the Peerybingles travel to lunch and reminisce on old times.
1: If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cozy. Take a deep, relaxing breath. And settle
0: your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now, all you'll need to do is follow the
1: sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep.
0: In the meantime, there had been a pretty sharp commotion at John Peerybingle's, for little Mrs Peerybingle naturally couldn't think of going anywhere without the baby, and to get the baby underway took time. Not that there was much of the baby, speaking of it as a thing of weight and measure. But there was a vast deal to do about and about it, and it all had to be done by easy stages. For instance, when the baby was got, by hook and by crook, to a certain point of dressing, and you might have rationally supposed that another touch or two would finish him off, and turn him out a tip top baby challenging the world, he was unexpectedly extinguished in a flannel cap and hustled off to bed, where he simmered, so to speak, between two blankets for the best part of an hour. From this state of inaction, he was then recalled, shining very much and roaring violently to partake of. Well, I would rather say, if you'll permit me to speak generally,
1: of slight repast, after
0: which he went to sleep again. Mrs Peerybingle took advantage of this interval to make herself as smart in a small way as ever you saw anybody in all your life, and... During the same short truce, Miss Slowboy insinuated herself into a Spencer of a fashion so surprising and ingenious that it had no connection with herself or anything else in the universe, but was a shrunken, dog's eared, independent fact, pursuing its lonely course without the least regard to anybody. By this time the baby, being all alive again, was invested, by the united efforts of Mrs. Peerybingle and Miss Slowboy, with a cream coloured mantle for its body, and a sort of nankeen raised pie for its head. And so, in course of time, they all three got down to the door where the old horse had already taken more than the full value of his day's toll out of the turnpike trust, by tearing up the road with his impatient autographs, and whence Boxer might be dimly seen in the remote perspective, standing, looking back, and tempting him to come on without orders. As to a chair or anything of that kind for helping Mrs. Peerybingle into the cart. You know very little of John, if you think that was necessary. Before you could have seen him lift her from the ground, there she was in her place, fresh and rosy,
1: saying, John, how can you? Think of Tilly, if
0: I might be allowed to mention a young lady's legs on any terms, I would observe of Miss Slowboys that there was a fatality about them which rendered them singularly liable to be grazed, and that she never affected the smallest ascent or descent without recording the circumstance upon them with a notch, as Robinson Crusoe marked the days upon his wooden calendar. But as this might be considered ungenteel, I'll think
1: of it. John,
0: you've got the basket with the veal and ham pie and things, and the bottles of beer said Dot. If you haven't, you must turn round again this very minute.
1: You're a nice little article, returned
0: the carrier, to be talking about turning round after keeping me a full quarter of an hour behind my time. I am sorry for it, John, said Dot in a great bustle but I really could not think of going to Bertha's. I would not do it, John, on any account, without the veal and ham pie and things, and the bottles of beer. Weigh.
1: This monosyllable was addressed to the horse, who didn't mind it at all. Oh,
0: do weigh, John said Mrs. Bingle. Please. It'll be time enough to do that, returned John, when I begin to leave things behind me. The basket's here safe enough. What a hard-hearted monster you must be, John, not to have said so at once, and save me such a turn. I declared I wouldn't go to Bertha's without the veal and ham pie and things and the bottles of beer for any money. Regularly once a fortnight, ever since we have been married, John. Have we made our little picnic there? If anything was to go wrong with it, I should almost think we were never to be lucky again. It was a kind thought in the
1: first instance, said the carrier. And I honour it for you, little woman. My
0: dear John, replied Dot, turning very red. Don't talk about honouring me, good gracious.
1: By the by, observed the carrier. That old gentleman. Again, so visibly and instantly embarrassed. He's an odd fish, said
0: the carrier, looking straight along the road before them. I can't make him out. I don't believe there's any
1: harm in him. None at all. I'm... I'm sure there's none at all.
0: Yes, said the carrier, with his eyes attracted to her face by the great earnestness of her manner. I'm glad you feel so certain of it, because it's a confirmation to me. It's curious that he should have taken it into his head to ask leave to go on lodging with us. Ain't it? Things come about so strangely.
1: So very strangely, she rejoined in a low voice, scarcely audible. However, he's a good-natured old gentleman,
0: said John, and pays as a gentleman, and I think his word is to be relied upon, like a gentleman's. I had quite a long talk with him this morning. He can hear me better already, he says, as he gets more used to my voice. He told me a great deal about himself, and I told him a great deal about myself, and a rare lot of questions he asked me. I gave him information about my having two beats, you know, in my business one day to the right from our house and back again, another day to the left from our house and back again. For he's a stranger and don't know the names of places about here. And he seemed quite pleased. Why then, I shall be returning home tonight your way, he says, when I thought you'd be coming in an exactly opposite direction. that's Capital, I may trouble you for another lift, perhaps, but I'll engage not to fall so sound asleep again. He
1: was sound asleep. Surely, Dart, what are you thinking of? Thinking of, John? I. I was listening to you. Oh, that's all right,
0: said the honest carrier. I was afraid, from the look on your face, that I'd gone on rambling so long as to set you thinking about something else. I was very near
1: it. I'll be bound.
0: Dot making no reply. They jogged on, for some little time, in silence, but it was not easy to remain silent very long in John Peerybingle's cart, for everybody on the road had something to say. Though it might only be, how are you, and indeed, very often it was nothing else, still To give that back again in the right spirit of cordiality required not merely a nod and a smile, but as wholesome an action of the lungs withal as a long-winded parliamentary speech. Sometimes passengers on foot or horseback plodded on a little way beside the cart for the express purpose of having a chat and then there was a great deal to be said on both sides. Then Boxer gave occasion to more good-natured recognitions of and by the carrier than half a dozen Christians could have done. Everybody knew him all along the road, especially the fowls and the pigs, who when they saw him approaching, with his body worn on one side, and his ears pricked up inquisitively, and that knob of a tail making the most of itself in the air immediately withdrew into remote back settlements, without waiting for the honour of a nearer acquaintance. He had business everywhere, going down all the turnings, looking into all the wells, bolting in and out of all the cottages, dashing into the midst of all the dame schools, fluttering all the pigeons, magnifying the tails of all the cats, and trotting into the public houses like a regular customer. Wherever he went, somebody or other might have been heard to cry. Hello, here's Boxer. And out came that somebody forthwith, accompanied by at least two or three other somebodies, to give John Peerybingle and his pretty wife good day. The packages and parcels for the errand cart were numerous, and there were many stoppages to take them in and give them out, which are not by any means the worst part of the journey. Some people were so full of expectation about their parcels, and other people were so full of wonder about their parcels, and other people were so full of inexhaustible directions about their parcels, and John had such a lively interest in them all that it was as
1: good as play. Likewise,
0: there were articles to carry, which required to be considered and discussed, and in reference to the adjustment and disposition of which, councils had to be holden by the carrier and the senders, at which boxer usually assisted in short fits of the closest attention, and long fits of tearing round and round the assembled sages and barking himself hoarse. Of all these little incidents, Dot was the amused and open-eyed spectress from her chair in the cart, and as she sat there looking on, a charming little portrait framed to admiration by the tilt. There was no lack of nudgings and glancings, and whisperings and envyings among the younger men. And this delighted John the Carrier, beyond measure, for he was proud to have a little wife admired, knowing that she didn't mind it, that, if anything,
1: she rather liked it, perhaps.
0: The trip was a little foggy, to be sure, in the January weather, and was raw and cold. But who cared for such trifles? Not Dot decidedly, not Tilly Slowboy, for she seemed sitting in a cart, on any terms, to be the highest point of human joys the crowning circumstance of earthly hopes. Not the baby, I'll be sworn, for it's not in baby nature to be warmer or more sound asleep, though its capacity is great in both respects, than that blessed young Peerybingle was all the way. You couldn't see very far in the fog, of course, but you could see a great deal. It's astonishing how much you can see in a thicker fog than that, if you will only take the trouble to look for it. Why, even to sit watching for the fairy rings in the field and for the patches of hoarfrost still lingering in the shade, near the edges and by the trees was a pleasant occupation, to make no mention of the unexpected shapes in which the trees themselves came starting out of the mist and gliding into it again. The hedges were tangled and bare, and waved a multitude of blighted garlands in the wind. But there was no discouragement in this. It was agreeable to contemplate, for it made the fireside warmer in possession, and the summer greener in its expectancy.
1: The river looked chilly, but it was in motion and moving at a good pace, which was a great point. The canal was rather slow and torpid. That must be admitted. Never mind. It would freeze the
0: sooner when the frost set fairly in. And then there would be skating and sliding. And the heavy old barges, frozen up somewhere near a wharf, would smoke their rusty iron chimney pipes all day and have a lazy
1: time of it. In one place
0: there was a great mound of weeds or stubble burning, and they watched the fire, so white in the daytime, flaring through the fog, with only here and there a dash of red in it, until, in consequence, as she observed, of the smoke getting up her nose, Miss Slowboy choked, She could not do anything of that sort on the smallest provocation and woke the baby who wouldn't go back to sleep again. But Boxer, who was in advance some quarter of a mile or so, had already passed the outposts of the town and gained the corner of the street where Caleb and his daughter lived and long before they had reached the door, he and the blind girl were on the pavement, waiting
1: to receive them. Boxer, by the way,
0: made certain delicate distinctions of his own in his communications with Bertha, which persuade me fully that he knew her to be blind. He never sought to attract her attention by looking at her, as he often did with other people, but touched her invariably. What experience he could ever have had of blind people or blind dogs, I don't know. He had never lived with a blind master, nor had Mr. Boxer the Elder, nor Mrs. Boxer nor any of his respectable family on either side, even been visited with blindness, that I am aware of. He may have found it out for himself, perhaps, but he had got hold of it somehow, and therefore he had hold of Bertha too, by the skirt, and kept hold until Mrs. Peerybingle and the baby and Miss Slowboy, and the basket, were all got safely within doors.
1: May Fielding was already come,
0: and so was her mother, a little querulous chip of an old lady with a peevish face, who, in right of having preserved a waist like a bedpost, was supposed to be a most transcendent figure and who, in consequence of having once been better off, or in labouring under an impression that she might have been, if something had happened which never did happen, and seemed to have never been particularly likely to come to pass, but it's all the same, was very genteel and patronising indeed. Gruff and Tackleton was also there, doing the agreeable, with the evident sensation of being as perfectly at home and as unquestionably in his own element as a fresh young salmon on top of the Great Pyramid. May, my dear old friend, cried Dot, running up to meet her. What a happiness to see
1: you. Her old friend was, to the full,
0: as hearty and as glad as she. And it really was, if you'll believe me, quite a pleasant sight to see them embrace. Tackleton was a man of taste beyond all question. May was very pretty. You know sometimes, when you are used to a pretty face, how when it comes into contact and comparison with another pretty face, it seems for a moment to be homely and faded and hardly to deserve the high opinion you have had of it. Now, this was not at all the case, either with Dot or May. For May's face set off Dot's, and Dot's face set off May's so naturally and agreeably, that, as John Peerybingle was very near saying when he came into the room, they ought to have been born sisters, which was the only improvement you could have suggested.
1: Tackleton had brought his leg of mutton,
0: and, wonderful to relate, a tart besides. But we don't mind a little dissipation when our brides are in the case. We don't get married every day, and in addition to these dainties, there were the veal and ham pie, and things, as Mrs. Peerybingle called them, which were chiefly nuts and oranges, and cakes, and such a small dear. When the repast was set forth on the board, flanked by Caleb's contribution, which was a great wooden bowl of smoking potatoes, he was prohibited, by solemn compact, from producing any other viands. Tackleton led his intended mother in law to the post of honour. For the better gracing of this place at the high festival, The majestic old soul had adorned herself with a cap, calculated to inspire the thoughtless with sentiments of awe. She also wore her gloves. But let us be genteel or die. Caleb sat next to his daughter. Dot and her old schoolfellow were side by side. The good carrier took care of the bottom of the table. Miss Slowboy was isolated, for the time being, from every article of furniture but the chair she sat on, that she might have nothing else to knock the baby's head against. As Tilly stared about her at the dolls and toys, they stared at her and at the company. The venerable old gentlemen at the street doors, who were all in full action, showed a special interest in the party, pausing occasionally before leaping as if they were listening to the conversation, then plunging wildly over and over a great many times, without halting for breath, as in a frantic state of delight, with the whole proceedings. Certainly, if these old gentlemen were inclined to have a fiendish joy in the contemplation of Tackleton's discomfort, they had good reason to be satisfied. Tackleton couldn't get on at all, and the more cheerful his intended bride became in Dot's society, the less he liked it though he had brought them together for that very purpose. For he was a regular dog in the manger, was Tackleton, and when they laughed, he couldn't. He took it into his head immediately that they must be laughing at him. Ah, May, said Dot. Dear, dear, what changes? To talk of those merry school days makes one young again. Why, you ain't particularly old
1: at any time, are you? said Tackleton.
0: Look at my sober, plodding husband there, returned Dot. He adds twenty years to my age at least,
1: don't you, John? Forty.
0: John replied. How many you'll add to May's, I'm sure I don't know, said Dot, laughing. But she can't be much less than a hundred years of age on
1: her next birthday. Ha ha!
0: laughed Tackleton. Hollow as a drum, that laugh, though. And he looked as if he could have twisted Dot's neck comfortably. Dear, dear, said Dot, only to remember how we used to talk at school about the husbands we would choose. I don't know how young, and how handsome, and how happy, and how lively mine was not to be. And as to May's, Ah, dear, I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I think what silly girls we were. May seemed to know which
1: to do, for the colour flushed into her face and tears stood in her eyes.
0: Even the very persons themselves, real live young men, were fixed on sometimes, said Dot. We little thought how things would come about. I never fixed on John, I'm sure. I never so much as thought of him. And if I had told you, you were ever to be married to Mr. Tackleton, why you'd have slapped me, wouldn't you, Mary? Though Mary didn't say yes, she certainly didn't say no, or express no by any means.
1: Tackleton laughed, quite shouted, he laughed
0: so loudly. John Peerybingle laughed too, in his ordinary, good-natured and contented manner. But he was a mere whisper of a laugh to Tackleton's. You couldn't resist us, you see, said
1: Tackleton. Here we are, here we are. Where are your happy young bridegrooms now? Some of them are dead,
0: said Dot, and some of them forgotten. Some of them, if they could stand among us this moment would not believe we were the same creatures, would not believe that what they saw and heard was real, and we could forget them so. No, they would not believe one word of it.
1: Why Dot? exclaimed the carrier. Little woman.
0: She had spoken with such earnestness and fire that she stood in need of some recalling to herself without doubt. Her husband's check was very gentle, for he merely interfered, as he supposed, to shield on Tackleton, but it proved effectual, for she stopped
1: and said no more. There was
0: an uncommon agitation, even in her silence, which the wary Tackleton, who had brought his half-shut eye to bear upon her, noted closely and remembered
1: to some purpose too. May
0: uttered no word, good or bad, but sat quite still, with her eyes cast down and made no sign of interest in what had passed. The good lady, her mother, now interposed, observing, in the first instance, that girls were girls, and bygones were bygones, and that so long as young people were young and thoughtless, they would probably conduct themselves like young and thoughtless persons, with two or three other positions of a no less sound and incontrovertible character. She then remarked, in a devout spirit, that she thanked heaven she had always found in her daughter May, a dutiful and obedient child, for which she took no credit to herself. Though she had every reason to believe it was entirely her own doing, With regard to Mr. Tackleton, she said that he was in a moral point of view, an undeniable individual, and that he was in an eligible point of view, a son-in-law to be desired. No one in their sense could doubt. She was very emphatic here. With regard to the family into which he was soon to be about, After some solicitation, to be admitted, she believed Mr. Tackleton knew that, although reduced in purse, it had some pretensions to gentility. And if certain circumstances, not wholly unconnected, she would go so far as to say with the indigo trade, but to which she would not more particularly refer, had happened differently it might perhaps have been in possession of wealth. She then remarked that she would not allude to the past and would not mention that her daughter had for some time rejected the suit of Mr. Tackleton and that she would not say a great many other things which she did say at great length. Finally, she delivered it as the general result of her observation and experience, that those marriages in which there was least of what was romantically and sillily called love, were always the happiest, and that she anticipated the greatest possible amount of bliss. Not rapturous bliss, but the solid, steady-going article for the approaching nuptials. She concluded by informing the company that tomorrow was the day she had lived for, expressly, and that when it was over she would desire nothing better than to be packed up and disposed of in any genteel place of burial.